0: Hello and welcome to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. I'm your host, Roman Tagal, and today's episode is a little different. It's a special industry discussion recorded as part of a remarketing roundtable series designed to keep the conversation going in the absence of an in-person CPHI worldwide. This is an exclusive for Molecule to Market, so please enjoy and share with your colleagues. Hi and welcome to the third in our uh, series of, of roundtables from Remarketing. Um, it's you know, three in three days. It feels like I'm presenting America's Got Talent in the, in the next couple of weeks. I'm getting so used to this. Um, it goes without saying, but we hope uh, you, know, you, your family and colleagues are all safe, healthy and well. And um, Thanks for making the time uh, to attend. Uh, today's today we're hosting uh, kind of as I mentioned the third in a series um, that's featuring some you know really fantastic and very international uh, industry experts. Um, for context, we know kind of how valuable those conversations are. Uh, you know, typically at CPHI when we have that face-to-face uh, connection with peers and colleagues. But obviously, in the absence of that face-to-face CPHI, we wanted to kind of keep the conversation going. Hence, the remarketing roundtable idea was born. Um, Each of our roundtables are kind of designed to talk about topical trends, industry um, kind of topics, and how the industry is going to be shaped uh, following 2020. Um, The sessions are also going to be available to download on our podcast, Molecule to Market, and also be available on the remarketing website uh, following the live session. So today's roundtable tackles the latest trends in CDMO and whether these have changed due to COVID-19. Before we dive into the session, we want to start with some introductions. Uh, So who are these uh, lovely people that you see on screen in front of you today? Um, I'll start and make an introduction and then I'll pass to my uh, colleague, Laura, who will then pass to the the guests that we've got on the the roundtable. So I'm Roman Segal, the founder and global president at Remarketing. Um, I oversee Remarketing's uh, US operations uh, from Boston. Um, for background, I've spent my entire career in the kind of farm and biotech contract services space uh, and had the fortune and privilege to advise 60, 70 plus uh, companies on brand strategy, creative comms, and in, in business. Um, I also, in that time, have obviously created and built Remarketing into an international uh, marketing agency uh, with about a staff account of around 40 people.
1: Uh, who I adore very much, including Laura, who I'm going to pass to now. Thanks, Roman. I'm not sure if there's a hint of sarcasm there, but I'll take it anyway. (laughs) So my name is Laura Child, and I'm delighted to be part of this roundtable today alongside some fantastic uh, guests that we have. I'm a CRO sector lead at Remarketing uh, and have spent my career embedded in large uh, CROs, managing clinical trials on global complex um, programs. So uh, I know the the, the CRO space and the industry very well and I'm I'm delighted to introduce our guest today. So Mark, Roger, Lynn and Alfredo, if you'd like to go ahead, Mark, I'll hand over to you to make a start.
2: Okay, uh, good afternoon, everybody, or good morning wherever you are in the world. Um, My name's Mark Quick, I'm EVP of Corporate Development for ResaFarm. So we're a a global CDMO, CDMO. Um, Sweden-based and primarily operate in the, the secondary manufacturing, although we have some primary uh, drug, drug substance as well as drug product. Um, I've been with the company for 14 years, um, so over that period of time we've actually grown quite significantly, and a lot of that growth has come through m and and actually that's the area I'm responsible for, is, is actually m and Having worked on um, you know, probably 20 transactions or so over my, my time with, with Resifarm, um, we, um, uh, so yeah, it's, uh, it's been a great journey. I've been in the CDMO arena though, for over 20 years, having worked for another CDMO. So, so when it was more of an infantile industry, so that's me. Pleased to be with you all.
0: Thanks, Mark. Um, Alfredo, do, would you mind going next?
2: Yeah,
3: well, my name is Alfredo Gomez. I do appreciate the invitation. Raman, it's, it's great to be here enjoying this, this time with you all. Um, so, I've been working in the pharma industry for more than 20 years in different areas like quality assurance, production, operational excellence. And I have particularly enjoyed very much the last 10 years running CDMO businesses. Yes, particularly now at ED Pharma, which is a CDMO that develops and manufactures clinical manufacturing and also niche commercial manufacturing high potency drugs. We are also very much specialized in spray drying. And well, the farm has been in the market for for the last 20 years, and as well, it's it's been growing. Again, it's great to be here.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Alfredo. Um, And I'm gonna pass to Roger next, and then Lynn, and I believe Rick's actually joining the call now as well. So we have a full house, which is uh, very exciting. So Roger, if you mind, uh, going next, and then and then passing to Lynn. and then Rick. I hope I hope you can hear me. You've just joined the call. It seems from uh, from my end. So yeah, we're just doing introductions. So you've uh, you've joined at, at a good time.
4: Sure. Thank you, Roman. Thank you, Laura. Thank you both for uh, inviting me to the session. Uh, I'm Roger Elias. I'm CEO of Stellis Biopharma. Um, I'm. I'm the one drinking the coffee, probably Lynn as well. Uh, we're in California, so for us, it's very much good morning. Um, a Little after seven o'clock in the morning here. Um, my career has been spent almost entirely in the biologic CDMO space, uh, the manufacturing business, although my personal background is all commercial all the time. Uh, so I started way back in the day, earned all this uh, white hair uh, with Celtec and, and subsequently Lonza, um, sadly 30 years ago or so. Um, and then I've been at, at Diasent, KBI Biopharma, Cytovance Biologics, uh, Avid Bioservices, a number of other companies, both public and private, big and small. Um, as I say, currently CEO of, of Stellis Biopharma, which is an interesting challenge. I joined uh, perfect timing. I joined Stellis back in December. Um, uh, Stellis is based in Bangalore, India, primarily the operations. So I'm now uh, COVID-impaired and, uh, and managing the company from about 9,000 miles away. Uh, we're a full-service biologic CDMO end-to-end process development. We have both um, on the drug substance side, both microbial and mammalian capacity, and then wide range of drug product as well, vials, cartridges, pre-filled syringes, and so on. So I'm, I'm very much uh, manufacturing all the time for biologics. Uh, and I think I'm handing over to you, Lynn. Thanks, Roger.
5: Thanks, Roger. Uh, So Lynn Allen, I work for Medfarm. And for those of you who don't know who we are, we are a niche player in the early development services space. I've been with Medfarm for about a year and have been in the contract service industry for more than 20 years. working at both large and small uh, contract development and contract manufacturing companies um, in the spaces of uh, non-sterile topicals and ophthalmics. Uh, sterile injectables, um, the whole gamut of uh, both early stage and late stage and, and product delivery formats. I'm very happy to be here, even from California at this hour. Uh, nice to meet everyone. Thanks, Lynn. And Rick, um,
0: we can't get your video through, but uh, hopefully you can hear everyone. If, if you're on the line, it'd be great to, if you mind, just doing a quick introduction to yourself.
6: Sure. My name is Rick Seibert. Um, I work for Sharp packaging services, uh, you know, we're a contract package provider where we do, um, everything through clinic from clinical packaging all the way through commercial, you know, with, uh, with a range of professional services around that as well. And, um, and my responsibilities are for what I would say is technical services. So, you know, um, IT engineering, package design and development, um, you know, serialization, those types of services. And I've been with Sharp for about 16 years and, you know, 30 plus years or so uh, in the industry. So thanks for having me. Apologize for the uh, glitch in getting in here.
1: No worries. Thank you so much. Okay, well, we'll press on with the first question then. Um, Perception of innovation with regards to CDMOs is a hot topic, as you well know. And there appears to be a trend whereby pharma and biotech companies want CDMOs to proactively invest in their own innovation rather than just reacting to a potential need. But proactive innovation can be expensive and it can sometimes be risky as well. So I'm wondering how do you define meaningful innovation rather than innovation for the sake of reputation? And can you share some examples of this? Um, Wick, I mean, you've you mentioned innovation, engineering, etc. I think you'd be a, a good place to, to start this conversation.
6: Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, the, the way we look at innovation is, is interesting. We have we have two, um, let's say two approaches to that. One is our strategic plan. So so we take our five-year strategic plan uh, across what we call OneSharp is our whole division. So we have European locations, we have US locations, different market segments and different customer base. And we take our technology roadmap and we link that to our overarching strategy. So we always have kind of a I don't know if we want to look at percentages, twenty or thirty percent of ongoing technology-related slash innovation, continuous improvement projects that we're working towards as a whole. But then, probably more importantly, what we'll do is we'll also partner with with key customers on initiatives that they believe are important to support their brand and their and their you know specific market requirements. And so you know, things like cell and gene therapy and direct-to-patient and very small batch sizes and, you know, a little bit more collaborative space around bulk and supply chain planning. We'll, we'll take those, those specific customer projects and we'll embed them into our technology roadmap. And so I'd say we have a mix. We have investment, which we're making um, as part of our overall strategic plan, and then we have uh, opportunistic client-facing projects that typically get more attention, and drive more momentum within our business. Um, and over the years, I found out they've become very complementary. Um, what we find works for one customer then becomes part of our overall platform, because it tends to kind of fit with whatever's happening in the industry as well, if, the, if that makes sense. We don't we don't innovate for the sake of kind of a you know wizardry or technology or uh, you know whatever's kind of the the latest and greatest, but we try and embed that whenever a customer you know comes in with a specific request.
1: That makes perfect sense. Thank you. Um, Lynn, could, could, perhaps you'd like to talk through your experience as well.
5: Yeah, I, I would echo some of the things that Rick said in the sense that some of the reactive innovations that we work on are definitely customer driven. I think reactive innovation really does show that you're on top of your client base, you're reacting to your client base and what they need. And you know that those solutions are going to be really well uh, taken up by the marketplace because it's it's driven by the customers and what they need. Um, Medfarm does uh, work on innovation for the sake of innovation. Uh, We do have an internal team that does a great job of brainstorming ideas where maybe the client hasn't come to us already, but we know that there is a problem with either the performance testing models that are available or the available formulation activities that are available. And we try to innovate for the sake of innovation, so more proactive innovation. Um, and to give you an example, it's, uh, we do have a, a great uh, testing model. Um, so intranasal formulation, uh, testing and tissue. Uh, we were just finding that there was just not a very good model out there. Animal uh, tissue wasn't uh, meeting the needs of the clients. Um, and human tissue, the way that we were uh, being able to get it wasn't uh, mimicking what was needed. So we proactively developed a nasal model um, that is able to, um, with using human cells, uh, stay alive for the time that we need to screen compounds. It actually became a reactive innovation when the coronavirus came up. A lot of treatments that are being delivered nasally you can screen a lot of different compounds to see that effectiveness. So sometimes that proactive, just knowing where the problems are in the market, we find once we solve them, oftentimes become uh, tools for our client base that we, we like to uh, showcase for them.
0: Roger, from a, from a biologics perspective, how is, is your experience similar to, to what the guys have just said there, or do you have a slightly different perspective? Oh, you're on you're on mute sorry
4: <laughs> i'm a master of technology uh, <laughs> with uh, with biologics manufacturing i think really laura hit things on the head in in her introduction and a question yeah we deal with risk profiles because we're dealing with you know third-party customers projects of course and introducing innovation to a manufacturing process is inherently risky, um, you know, the process defines the product still. Uh, so if we make changes, we run the risk of changing a customer product and we just can't do that, simple as that. Uh, and then the other side is is certainly financial. We don't really have the, you know, we're not, you know, we're not Amgen as it were, we don't have the ability to to do a lot of, you know, truly innovative, front-end proactive in innovation. Um, we do, however, I think it's important, you know, we're, we're quite lucky in that we see so many different processes and products that were a great proving ground, a great testing ground for innovation. So a lot of the vendors, you know, enjoy work, I think working with CDMOs just because it, you can sort of get that experience in dog years as it were. Um, and thinking, it's not just about spending money and, uh, you know, Putting in new equipment or technologies or software or whatever it is, uh, innovative thinking is you know shouldn't be discounted. How do we you know how do we get more through a facility in a set period of time or whatever it is? But in in general, I would say it's very hard, even for the big guys. I mean, I've worked at the Lonzas of the world. You know, it's hard to spend a lot of money, frankly, on truly front end innovation. So I would say, quite honestly, we're not we're not at the cutting edge, uh, but we're very good at putting new technologies into practice.
0: Thanks, Roger. Mark, from an innovation perspective at, at Resi Farm, I mean, you know, one of the biggest CDMOs in the world, and how, how does how does it play a role within within your business? And then Alfredo, it'd be great to get, I suppose, a contrasting opinion from a you know a smaller specialized CDMO as well. Yeah,
2: I, I think from from my perspective, innovation, um, you know, actually customers go to a CDMO to innovate. I don't necessarily mean from a technology perspective. But just actually doing things better, and there are a number of drivers I think for 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 innovation. You know, it could be cost pressures, it could be competitive pressures, um, you know, COVID pressures actually that we've got at the moment, and speed. So, so all of these things I think are actually um, driving us to do things in different and better ways. And and at the end of the day, I think think people, you know, people do things. Um, uh, or, or like to do things in a better way look at you know as a human race I think we, we, tr- we try to improve things so so um, you know looking at innovation from a not necessarily a technology perspective but just a a, a better way you know I I think it's expected and customers expect that because they're faced with all of these um, pressures which I've just mentioned and you know I you know COVID at the moment I know we'll probably talk more about this but but it's a little bit like in in wartime you know things move forward and technology moves forward at such a faster pace because you need to do that and I I, I kind of feel we're in that that environment at the moment so that's my take on, on innovation.
0: Thanks, Mark. Alfredo, any, any, any thoughts from yourself, from, from Eddie Farm's perspective? Yeah, well,
2: I'm
3: very much in, in line with Roger and with Mark, you know. I, I think that it's difficult to see in the industry, you know, a real disruptive innovation, you know, even the big companies. For example, now you ha- we have this clear example of the COVID years. Nobody invested a lot in research of this type of coronavirus, and now we are facing this pandemic, you know. So, well I, I think that um, for CDMOs in general it's not so easy to to make innovation you know because our customers are many times reluctant to to get you know to get out from their regulatory framework they don't want to be the first in, you know in, in making uh, submissions for for new stuff you know so but well at TD pharma um, we invested ten years ago in this spray drying technology, and we have overcome many solubility issues. And injectable drugs have become now in solid oral dosage forms, you know, which is more is better for for our patients, you know. So, but well, I, I would love to see more innovation, maybe in this in this pharma business.
1: Mm. That leads nicely onto our next question then, Alfredo. So uh, there, are, there are lots of areas where we have technological advancement. Um, and if we think more specifically around automation, for example, I'm really interested to know where automation is not an option and where the human touch is really an everlasting necessity. So it's sort of that contrast of, of the two. Um, I don't know, Alfredo, if you'd like to pick up and run with that one. Okay. Yeah, well, I think that human
3: touch is, essential, you know, in all the processes in a company, you know, especially, for example, at Didi Pharma, because we are very much specialized in challenging niche products, requiring very specific processes, uh, technology and clinical productions, I mean, small batches. Well, here, the human factor still becomes key, you know, for, both for development and, and manufacturing. But uh, I think that we should try that this this shouldn't be an excuse, you know, for for innovation. Uh, for sure, right? I try to fight against that every day. Um, nevertheless, I think that big CDMOs, that they are more focusing in quantity. I'm sure that they have stronger needs or dependence on, on process automation. I, I know for sure, you know, I worked in the past for GSK and everything is automatic there. And uh, automation in this type of big companies is a must. Yeah, of course.
0: Mark, is that is that a fair point by Alfredo? Is that reflective and maybe Rick as well? I suppose from a, a a bigger company, a larger multi side company perspective, um, what Alfredo said around you know the more automation within your businesses is that is that a fair reflection, or is there still a, a large human element within your businesses? No, I think, I think there's a large human element.
2: I, I think where, where we, tr- you know, some of the very repetitive and repeat, you know, repeatable stuff, we, we try to, 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 to automate as, as much as possible, you know, on production lines and things like that. Um, but but I, I, you know, I'm a believer that, that, you know, we're people and we interact and, and there needs to be that, that social interaction. Um, And, uh, you know, I think it actually we spark off each other by talk by talking with each other. We actually uh, do things better. So, so I, I, uh, you know, there's a place for for innovation, but there's many, many jobs that can't be done without human, human intervention. Rick,
0: any thoughts?
6: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, It's great comments. And and, and I appreciate the, uh, the the feedback there, because very similar to our experience. So we, we take an approach that that will automate where we can automate. Um, as time has gone on, and in recent years, in particular, the ability for us as a packager to automate, I'd say, has been somewhat going down as as drug product gets to be more specialized and the you know the supply chain requirements around that minus twenty C, you know, two to eight C, and so on. We have all this flexibility and variability. So what we're trying to do is take um, kind of a, a network approach across all of our sites capture where we have concentrations of skill sets and technology, you know, by way of automation, and we're trying to find a way to match the customer need and requirements, you know, bad size, uh, package component type, and so on, and place the right product and right package into the right sites. Forget geographies and forget kind of p boundaries, But we found that many, many times a good, I'd say if you did a quick burrito on it, at least 80% requires that human touch to get the kind of flexibility, the kind of reaction time, that immediate launch attention, uh, quicker changeovers, you know, um, it kind of became the opposite of what I originally thought when I got to the business 16 years ago, because, you know, being more process oriented, I would think automation was the key. And often it is, but more often than not in our business, I think we need that human interaction. We need that flexibility in order to achieve the goals. And then phase two of a project or you know, post-launch, then you can start to see concentrations. You can start to see the advantage of using a network and whatnot. But I, I don't see the, the human touch going anywhere um, in our business um, personally. And I think it's an yeah. advantage, competitive advantage for us as well to have that kind of flexibility mm-hmm. and, and those skill sets in the business
0: yeah it's a really interesting point that Rick and it's certainly something I've seen over the years where there's been a lot of talk around automation and bringing in new technologies, but the human element is always is always important and Lynn I'm, I'm guessing from a med farm perspective where you know your business prides itself on its scientific expertise and agility and the human element must be probably the key element uh, rather than I suppose the, the automation and technological advances I'm sure there's a, there's a balance, but I'm guessing you guys are on the former.
5: Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. I think we're probably more on the early stage development than most uh, of the participants here, Um, but we still do actually try to automate where possible. So I'll echo the comments that there is an art to um, the pharmaceutical, not only development, but manufacturing, and you still need that human intervention to really uh, discern where the problems are, to fix the problems, to make the connections that are not, that can't be automated. Um, But we also in the development phase and sort of that early stage pre formulation formulation where possible. And and I think uh, Alfredo, you had maybe said this earlier is where there is repetition and rigidity to what you're doing um, from a frequency of setup and, and high labor cost. the more that we can automate to increase the speed of that development process. That's what our clients are looking for. So what we try to do is automate areas where, if you're looking at multiple solvent systems and you're doing it repetitively over time how can you automate that with through robotics um, looking at different ways of setting up tests so that instead of setting up one test you can set up 32 tests so you can screen 12 different compounds instead of just one or two compounds so uh, that's where medfarm is looking to um, use our innovation group to actually do more automation of our process because our clients and I think probably everybody is is uh, dealing with the same thing. Everybody wants to get to market more with more speed and less cost. And so the more <laughs> that we can automate, the better that uh, we can meet their needs.
0: Thanks, Lenin. And you, you touched on a point there, you know, around I suppose what what you might do in the future. So I wanted to kind of move this question on slightly and talk about, you know, how do you how do you see technology and automation? changing in the next three or four years in a post-COVID world? you know, Will certain technology be accelerated? Just any, any general thoughts on that? And Roger, it would be interesting to get your, your thoughts on kind of what the future holds uh, from a technology and automation perspective.
4: Yeah, well, I think Zoom meetings are here to stay, that's for sure. <laughs> um, for better or worse, probably for better, actually. <laughs> I don't mind them so much. Yeah, we're, you know, we're not very automated. And by we, I don't mean Stellas biopharma, we as a biologics manufacturing industry, we're dealing with living cells. And we, we just don't have the feedback loops necessary to make automation a reality for us, for the most part. Um, we're seeing uh, the one area, the exception, of course, is, as Lynn touched on, was uh, is in the analytical side, you know, now we have a robot set up, you know, previously, almost unimaginable number of you know, amount of data being generated overnight and you know, we let them go and they do a great job, still got to analyze that data, still need the people to the last uh, last question. It, it's a people business, bioreactors don't run themselves. Uh, we need that expertise and that's what our customers ultimately pay for. Um, for us, I think the areas of you know, perhaps um, pending progress is, is probably more in rather than automation, it's continuous processing. Um, you know, on the, if things work well, you know, the upstream side of our business growing the cells, you know, works pretty much on its own We're, we're still feeding and testing and everything else. But, uh, on the downstream side, we're starting to see some pretty good advances in terms of, um, having, you know, one discrete processing step, talk to the next and perhaps, you know, continuous chromatography, for instance, as a, as a possibility or probability now. And I, I don't call it a reality yet. I think we still have enough, too many disparate steps that don't quite talk to each other well enough. So, you know, we don't tip something in to start and out comes a product at the other end, just far from it. So we're a long way away. But I think uh, the downstream for us, the purification area, you know, we've got pretty good in the last, you know, 10, 15 years, made dramatic improvements in the, the productivity of our, whether it's, you know, cell culture from mammalian products, derived products, or Uh, fermentation for bacterial or yeast products Um, so we churn out quite a lot of protein now but we still we're not very good at purifying it quite honestly is the way I look at it and that's where I think uh, you know a lot of lot of focus will go certainly for us as we look to um, again to to Lynn's point it's about it's about time in the facility and speed and and driving it through so I think that that's the area where we're probably going to see a lot of focus. Now that's again my my very limited you know sort of window. We you know we're doing mainly recombinant proteins, antibodies. Um, you know, massive technology advances when you're talking about you know gene therapy, manufacturing, uh, cellular therapies, and so on and so forth. So it's a mixed bag, I think. But we are still pretty backwards when it comes to things like automation. I would say.
1: Thanks, Roger. And Roger so- Rick, I'm curious to know uh, your thoughts on on the trends moving forwards, particularly around automation technology.
6: Yeah, it's um, it's it's actually been an interesting situation for us, um, to say the least. I think over the last six seven months, and what what I mean by that is we have a constant pipeline of customer you know project launches, um, you know, literally a couple of hundred, usually on the portfolio at any given time, and so. Typically, um, depending on the size of the pharmaceutical company or biotech company we're working with, when we get ready for a launch, there's a a lot of um, customer involvement at the site and they want to be there. They would like to see the product run the first time and so on and so forth. And, and, And all that pipeline has been just stopped. Those practices have stopped. And so we often match equipment and technology for a specific customer opportunity. With those vendors and doing things like FATS and you know and, and engineering studies and so on on the equipment, which again we can't have vendors on site for the most part. So what we're trying to um, and have deployed is things like augmented reality devices and 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 you know uh, more video kind of interface and collaboration, so so as to create the opportunity where the client or the equipment provider or a service technician can can have a, a, an experience as though they're physically on the site without being on the site. Um, and those types of things, honestly, six months ago, those types of opportunities and challenges six months ago, they just didn't exist, but we never considered them. Um, and so it's getting, it's getting to, to the point where um, it's just become part now of the culture where we don't even, we don't assume anymore that the client is gonna come on site and, and how do we get the vendor? How do we stop going to Germany for an FAT and, and so on? Um, and technology is just a common thread, you know, anymore. I, I honestly don't see it going going back, um, you know, in, in the future. Um, maybe a bit if you haven't had a relationship with the potential vendor or the initial first meetings or something with key clients, but but this, uh, this virtual world and enhanced reality, augmented reality, I think is going to be there to stay and really be a great tool for us.
0: Thanks, Rick. I want to pause on that point because I think it's a really interesting topic around uh, kind of I suppose the industry having to change and CDMOs having to change. Mark, do you are you in agreement with Rick? Do you think we're going to stick to this um, way of working, or do you see, I suppose, a reverting back to, I suppose, a more traditional way in you know, in a couple of years or so?
2: No, nah, I, t- I tend to agree with Rick. Although, though, somebody was telling me uh, just before this call actually that, that, that they they sort of um, been discussing with a futurist who says. You know all of the all of the events that have happened. You know major events where people said it's going to change. 9/11 and things like this. We never fly again. It says, well, society has a, a has has an ability to get back to the previous normality. So I don't know how, how true that is, but but I I believe we've got things to stay and 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 we've kind of got all of the the conditions to 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 change as well. You know apart from the, the the restrictions on traveling at the moment. You know you've still got those cost pressures. You've still got those speed pressures so it's all of these things you know doing things in a better way all those conditions are still there so so i i can't see us uh, uh uh changing back you know i think we'll move move back to you know move some way towards what it was before but but definitely not all the way
0: thanks mark
1: you're listening to molecule to market where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space.
0: Alfredo, any, any thoughts on this matter, I suppose, from a, um, because you have, correct me if I'm wrong, you've got the one site in Pamplona. So from a, a one site perspective and um, have you guys adopted technology quicker than you might've thought uh, that you would have, if that makes sense. Uh, has it just accelerated the inevitable?
3: Yeah, well, Definitely, COVID has been a game changer here and, and we are facing, you know, the same issues that uh, Rick and, and Mark mentioned, right? So for us, when we are entering a new project, you know, this thing that customers cannot, be see, cannot visit us, you know, so they have to do a trust, a trust exercise, you know, it's, it's, really, it's really difficult. Yeah? They are auditing us online, all, all this stuff. So, um, well, fortunately at Didi Pharma, the IT people, they invested you know, in all these cloud systems, cloud apps some years ago, and we've been you know, ready to work from the day after from home yeah, and everything. But um, I also think that it will take some time um, to get to the previous normality. You know, um, personally, you know, I'm desperate to, to fly again and to meet people and, and get invited you know, to real business. Yeah, of course.
0: I'm sure you're all missing aeroplanes and hotels like I am (laughs) because
5: I know
0: know you all travel quite a lot. And uh, uh, Roger, uh, actually Lynn, I'm not sure if we we covered, I've got your thoughts on this particular kind of topic in terms of, I suppose um, the adoption of technology and I suppose having to adopt and and whether you think things are going to go back to to normal. Love your thoughts. And and Roger, I suppose from moving on to you after that, from a, Managing a business in the U.S. that's you know, 9,000 miles away. It'd be fascinating to get your thoughts after that as well.
5: So Lynn, if you, if you don't mind going first. And uh, my, uh, my colleagues aren't as far away as India, but they are in, in the U.K. So we've had to adopt very quickly the tools that we need to not only to talk internally, but to talk to our clients. Um, I'm a little bit uh, in agreement with Mark. I do think we're gonna go back to some sense of normal, maybe not large trade shows where you've got a lot of people flying from all over the globe in you know, hundreds, uh, the 40,000 uh, attendees of, of CPHI. Um, but I do think we're gonna get to some sense of normalcy. I, you know, maybe sometime next year or the next. Um, but we, yes, uh, Farm and I think every company has, fa- has had to find ways to work internally. And I'm finding that we're actually finding more time to spend, um, particularly in Teams and Zoom meeting, uh, where we're very close to our teams because we're all home and able to um, talk to each other on a more frequent basis. And from a client perspective, um, there's more preparation and more due diligence before calls um, rather than just walking in and having meetings. I think that we're being very productive with the Zoom time and with the teams. And um, so we're finding, you know, I, I heard somebody else mention quality audits. Our quality audits have gotten extremely efficient through Zoom, where there's a certain amount of time that you have on the Zoom calls, but the prep work in advance of that has been quite stupendous. So I do think that we're all learning um, and. And growing in this uh, from a technology perspective. But um, I'm, I'm, I, I can't even believe that I'm saying this, but I hope to get on a plane sometime soon. You're going
0: to come to Boston to see me, hopefully, Lynn. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll go anywhere. To <laughs> Roger, just uh, yeah, any, any thoughts on this topic as well?
4: Yeah, I'll like echo Lynn's sentiment. It's kind of strange to want to be getting back on a plane. Uh, <laughs> but here we are, a strange world. Yeah, I think it's. I think things have changed. I mean, virtual audits certainly. I'm. I'm interested to see how the regulatory authorities, you know, adapt to it. Certainly, with customer audits, we've been hosting virtual audits, and it's been remarkably efficient. I don't think anybody's missed a beat, quite honestly, which has been nice to see. Um, yeah, I think times have changed. You know, we can learn from this. You know, the way we do things. Um, we have a situation. I'll come to my situation briefly, being nine thousand miles away, which, uh, in essence, just means a lot of early mornings and late nights. Um, but uh, you know, even we have two facilities within Bangalore, India. And if you've ever been there, it's like worst traffic in the world. So you know, we've learned a lot. COVID's forced us to learn a lot, even about communication, communicating between our two facilities. We've actually invested in you know more video conferencing capabilities. Some some upgraded capabilities, you know, even, you know, nothing to do with COVID, quite honestly, it just, it's forced us to look at the way we communicate. Um, Yeah, to your specific question, uh, 9,000 miles away, wasn't I expected to be spending, you know, 100 days a year or so in India. And of course, that hasn't happened after a very busy initial spurt. You know, when you, you can never replace that human element and being there. So I, you know, I can't wait to get back. But we're doing pretty well, quite honestly, surprisingly well. Now, you know, it's, I guess to some extent it's me who do, well, no, I shouldn't, I should give great credit to my colleagues in India as well who are prepared to do early mornings and late nights. But uh, it is, you know, it's changed my work day, that's for sure. I mean, it's, you know, it's very early mornings and, and late nights and a sort of gap in between, which I naively thought that uh, I'd be able to perhaps take some downtime and do some thinking. It doesn't seem to work <laughs> that way. Um, <laughs> you know what, we're doing okay. Um, it's, I, you know, there's you know, no way you'd call it a blessing, that's for sure, but, uh, you know, we have the ability to learn from these things and the, and the, the technology, when we talk about the actual <coughs> sector, it's remarkable. You know, look at us sitting here now. Um yeah. would have been unthinkable a few years ago. So, no, it's, it's okay. Thanks, Roger. We are gonna move on and, and talk some bigger picture, um, I
0: suppose, macro things in this sector. But before we do that, we have a question Uh, that's coming from our audience. Uh, So I'm just going to say it and and maybe pass to a couple of you guys to to have a a go at answering. So the question is, Rick mentioned the changes they've made uh, to automate in-person elements of projects. Uh, With an industry built around networks and historic relationships, how do you think the new ways of working are going to impact the industry's ability to form new relationships and partnerships? So, I mean, it's a great question, actually, because you know, you even think of the nature of doing this, you know, normally we'd all probably be sat having a beer together at CPHI uh, and, you know, meeting new people. So how is how does this impact and has it impacted you, I suppose, in uh, in relationships and partnerships? So Rick, it refers to your comment. So if you, if you don't mind going first, that would that would be good. And then maybe I pass to Alfredo to get your thoughts on it as well.
6: No, sure, not at all. Um, I think in in some ways, again, I, you know, I think it was mentioned that in some ways you can you can look at this as a blessing. I think the the idea of um, of being able to to connect, you know, um, it, it's always best. I, I always feel like it's best, especially if you've never met somebody face to face, to be able to have that initial meeting, you know, and, and kind of get to understand a person a little bit more, you know, just on a on a you know on a personal level, so you can kind of you know get get to know them a little bit before you go into kind of the typical business, you know, sort of session. Um, it's harder sometimes to coordinate when you have a team of people that you wanna have meet with another team of people on the customer side um, because collaboration with schedules and so on gets more challenging. But it feels like in this environment, folks have become more accustomed now to, to getting a little bit more organized, pre-planning their days. Um, you can reach out and get more, um, how do you wanna say it, multiple contacts, I think in a digital world initially. Um, And now that it's a little bit more socially acceptable to kind of meet in those ways, I think it, it, it's become, um, uh, you know, we're able to do business I think as, as effectively as we had in the past. Um, I was sort of chuckling to myself a little bit there with one of the other comments that happened. We were concerned about productivity on the site, on our packaging site Um, and having, you know, kind of to take a step back and say, boy, without all the management team and all the, the office workers on site would productivity suffer a bit and actually (laughs) We've kind of gone the opposite way where in some instances we've seen productivity increase without all the management team around. So uh, that was an interesting scenario that happened. So sometimes when you let people go to their own innovations and kind of their own connectivity and networking, I think um, this environment has made us think a little bit more intentionally about how we can reach out. So in some ways we've been more proactive because of it. So it's a trade-off. I still would never want to miss that first initial, you know, get to know each other sort of contact. That may be delayed for a year or you know a year and a half, but but I think in the meantime we we found a way to make it work, and in some cases have enhanced it. To be truthful with you,
0: uh, great. Thanks. I mean I expect all of you, if you don't know each other, you should be connecting to each other on LinkedIn after this yeah. <laughs> this roundtable. So that's kind of part of the part of the reason for this. Alfredo, any thoughts from you on on that topic? And then I'd also like to pass to Mark because I know Mark, you're a a huge believer in uh, networking and meeting new people and connecting with new people. So some thoughts from you would be great as well.
3: Yes, um, yeah, probably yes. Um, it's gonna be socially acceptable, you know, to be uh, meeting people through these social networks through, um, you know, Zoom meetings and everything. Yeah, I I do like, for example, this this way of. Uh, Organizing the events at the Bio, Bio Europe, that they use these partnering systems. I think these systems are becoming commonplace. Um, Probably, you know, before we had to meet in in a very small cube, you know, now we are meeting through the cameras in in our laptops, you know. So um, we just need to get used to that. Um, It will take some time. And and also, I, I was thinking about this trend of producing locally. You know, to avoid the supply bottlenecks from other countries, so maybe we are trying to work again. You know, uh, more locally. Yes, uh, this is also in line with that. Unfortunately, yeah. Interesting,
0: Mark. Any final
2: thoughts on this particular topic? Yeah, I've got, I've got to uh, Again, my conversation, which was actually just before this one, with, with the big farmer, and they—they were—they're not allowed. Basically, the the management are not allowed to go onto the the sites you know so they've, they've cut, cut that down as much as possible and and they they were saying exactly the same thing productivity has gone better because they're not hosting visits so i just thought that was an interesting uh, observation um I, I think there's also a, a generational aspect to this um you know our, our kids and and I'm, I'm 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 a little bit older but but our kids are pretty happy sort of interacting socially on through through social media and and electronically, um, which is, is is quite different to the way I've been, you know, my business career has always been face-to-face. I'm learning, I think, pretty quickly um, w- with this time, but but I actually think, you know, it'd become much more natural to do this uh, uh, interaction um, uh, th- through electronic means. I'll never replace it, but but uh, anyway, that's my, that's my thoughts on it.
1: <laughs> and with regards to that, Mark, is there anything sort of, Unique or impactful that you've done. I know many, many CDMOs are doing virtual site tours and virtual audits and things like that. Is there anything that you are doing that has really helped establish those new relationships, especially perhaps when you're in that sort of uh, business development and commercial side when you're trying to qualify as a, as a vendor for, for a company?
2: I, I actually think it's something we're grappling with at the moment. I was, I was talking with the guy who's responsible for our, our sales organization uh, today. Uh, again, today, I've had a busy day. And, and he, he, you know, that's one of the things he's actually struggling. He says, you know, my guys have not been out to see customers since, since March. You know, how do we build those, those relationships? And I, I, I haven't got a, a, a very good example, um, but I, we're, we're actually trying lots of new things, webinars, um, you know the festival of Pharma at the moment, and you know we're we're actually trying lots of different things, and some things will work and some things won't. You know, you know something was uh, we we sent around some training videos on how to look good on video conferences, and you know some <laughs> really basic tips. So, so that that's the sort of thing we're 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 actually doing. Um, I I don't think we found found the the answer, um, but you know we recognise it's going to be different and. Will we'll work differently.
4: Absolutely. Has anybody? I can see Roger, you. I was just uh, quipping that perhaps Mark could send me that how to look good on video thing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I would appreciate of, it I was
4: too. Excellent.
1: Okay, well, that does lead us on to the next question then. Um, it's just really looking at the fact that uh, we are seeing a significant outsourcing, especially as we move to more um, uh, sort of. Specialized drugs uh, moving forwards, and we're seeing lots of mergers and acquisitions as well. And we're wondering whether you expect to see the same level of merge and acquisitions in the sector post COVID. I know, Mark, you'll be a, a good place to start on this one. So, if you don't mind, <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> I want some more of your knowledge. Uh, um,
2: yeah, you'll have to shut me up probably on this one, but. Um... <laughs> I think the simple answer is yes. Um, again, I think all the fundamentals are there in the CDMO world for, for, uh, more M and A activity. Um, we sit in a very fragmented industry, um, where, um, you know, there's no real domination. I mean, there's some, some companies which are getting bigger, but not like many mature industries, particularly in the secondary or, or the finished dose form. Um, there's a lot of investment company ownership, um, which by definition they are going to want to flip that asset, so, so there's going to be some, so, uh, something there. There's a lot of small privately owned companies, many of which are probably not investing to the level they, they, they should, living on probably original contracts, so they're, they're, they're going to have to probably change and do something different. Um, and, and it's actually a sector where, where size does matter um you know to to actually get customer access um get economies of scale um access to capital so so i think all the fundamentals are there to put, uh, for more m a and m a to continue and and you know my experience actually is that it hasn't really slowed down very much over the past you know it was a little lull after um covid but it it's it, it, it's coming back mm. big, big and fast again just doing it differently you can't visit the asset necessarily. You have to do it virtually. But yeah, so that, that's my, my take on it.
0: I, w- I want to come back to that point, Mark, because I am genuinely intrigued how you, how you assess a site with, without visiting. And before we, before we go on to that, Rick, I know Sharp have obviously taken on a few new sites in the last few years and made huge investments in facilities as well. So is it a similar view to what Mark said from your, your perspective as well that you're expecting to see? Uh, I suppose a continued M and A, or, or a series of M in, in the market in the next next couple of years.
6: Yeah, I agree with Mark. Actually, for the um, I'd say I'd say for the first couple of months, we did see a, a drop, almost a step curve, you know, step function drop, where it just kind of paused for a period. And I think that was probably typical, even you know, socially and everything, until people got adjusted, factories got adjusted, and so on. Um, in the last several months, we've seen a ramp up again of conversations. Of course, the visits are going to be a little bit of a hurdle, but just like uh, customer acquisition where we're doing virtual audits, you know, quality wise, and also, be, you know, business development audits virtually, um, the MA activity has picked up along those lines. And that feels to me like there is a pent up demand that, that, uh, that, that's been, you know, driving that change in the last, in the last couple of months. I don't see that stopping. You know, I really don't. I think, um, in fact, in some ways, it may accelerate a bit, you know, because of the, uh, again, the virtual play there, you know, you can get a little bit more efficient kind of Q&A happening sooner, meeting management teams and so on and whatnot, I think in, in a virtual environment, similar to, uh, you know, the preliminary due diligence that we've done in the past. So no, I don't, I, don't, I think there's pent up demand, I think it's going to continue. Um, and I think there's lots of discussions we're involved in um, to continue to add complimentary services. So I, I think it'll continue.
0: Thanks, Rick. Lynn, from from your perspective, I know uh, Medpharma are, are owned by a, a private equity company or, mm-hmm. or par- are partly owned by the, the company that's uh, inquisitive and <laughs> a company that buys lots of other companies. So do you, from, I suppose, a smaller business perspective, multi-site, you, is it a similar view from you than the gentleman there? <laughs>
5: Yeah, I would agree that um, there is some pent-up demand and there are a lot of companies like Medfarm that are owned by private equity. So they're all gonna be looking for an exit strategy. Um, So maybe not in the next year to two years, but certainly in that third third year category is where a lot of these private equity generally that's the timeframe they look to um, flip their investments and we'll we'll maybe see some of that activity as uh, we come forward. Um, but I do also see you know, coming from San Francisco, uh, a lot of private equity here, and there's been a lot of shift into pharma and, and our sector outside of the tech sector. So it's been an interesting um, investment um, from a client base, but also in the, the CDMO space to uh, see a little bit more money coming in this general direction. Um, so we're, we're bullish. Um, it's been a very strong year from the standpoint of, of bringing on new deals. It's been a lot more work in the sense that it's harder to find those deals and to close those deals because we can't just um, celebrate with a dinner and a drink and, and get the contract done. It's a little bit more work. Um, but certainly we see a lot of growth in our client base, which is helping us uh, continue to grow. And that is coming from the investment sector. So I think it's um, it's been a very positive um, you know, with despite what's going on with the pandemic, it's been a positive um, source of, of opportunity for new investment for our client base and for ourselves.
0: Very interesting, thanks, Lynn. And then, Roger, I suppose from a, a biologics perspective, where we've seen um, some, let's say, dizzying multiples in the last couple of years, so yeah. do, you, do you expect that to be the same? I think the, the general feel from the panel is that we're going to continue to see I MA. Mean, I'm interested to know whether you we're still going to see in the biologic space at that insanely high level. Do you think that will continue?
4: Yeah, I do. Uh, Yeah, the multiples have been crazy. The private equity interest in particular is still off the charts or was still off the charts before COVID. Uh, And I don't, uh, you know, to Mark's point, we're still incredibly fragmented. I mean, it's, you know, we, yeah, there there are a few major players, but they still only, you know, take up a relatively small percentage of the total market. Um, some of that technology-driven, but uh, yeah, I, I do think it's going to continue, and I think COVID actually has the potential to really, you know, change those valuations further still. Um, we've, you know, as a as a business, as an industry, a market, I guess, you know, we've been most CDMOs, I think, in our space, certainly on the biologic space, where we're pretty close to the vaccine scene, for instance, as well as some of the, you know, monoclonal therapeutics and what have you. You know, we're seeing demand pick up um, you know investment in new facilities you know we see we see erstwhile competitors now working very closely with one another to get this thing done you know these all to me tend to drive you know consolidation as well as uh, valuations um, so especially on the drug product side of the business with um, you know vaccine fills whether they're mRNA or adenovirus or proteins or whatever they are you know most of those are pretty good fit for us for instance so you know, I think COVID is probably, certainly for the for the medium term, you know, a good thing for the CDMO business. And I, yeah, I see those valuations going up, and I'll be I'll be interested to see what those multiples do. It's difficult to believe they could go higher, but they could.
1: Thanks, Roger. So I'm interested that you mentioned then about the different types of drug products as well. We are seeing diversity in drug product development, such as sort of more unusual dosage forms or combination products and things like that. So, um, Alfredo, I'm wondering, where do you think we will see significant momentum with regards to development, looking forward to perhaps the next five to 10 years, with regards to the type of drugs that that we're going to see a lot of momentum in?
3: Well, um, you know, in in my opinion, because of all these new um, diagnostic tools, um, new categories of diseases are being discovered, yes, And, and also more... More, um, let's say, orphan drugs are coming into the markets and so on. So personalized medicine is going to be there, yeah? And, and I think that um, especially also the devices, you know, the combination between the drug and, and the device is, is going to be something that um, is going to be also a trend, yeah, for sure. Um, this is, this is something that is very clear for us. And also we have had a lot of requests from customers that they want us, for example, to convert, you know, the injectable into the oral dosage form. This is also something that is going on very much now, you know, so yes, personalized medicine is, is going to be
0: important and the devices that comes uh, with them. It's Alfredo, any other thoughts on that particular question? Uh, we're we're almost at time, so I wanna I wanna um, uh, you know uh, hold uh, you know a, a minute or two for closing remarks. Mark, any, any thoughts on that particular topic?
2: Oh, I would agree with with with, with um, Alfredo there. I think um, you know one of the things we're we're um, we're quite excited about, and we're investing quite heavily in at the moment, is actually inhalation. Um, so actually, um, we, made, we made the acquisition of, of Consort, which included Best Pack, so very strong on devices. And we, we're trying to combine the device uh, um, expertise that we brought in with the pharmaceutical expertise, putting those two together um, and, and provide a much more integrated offering. So, so that, that's um, what I would say, I mean, uh, uh, on this. So that, that's our take on it.
0: Thanks, Mark. And I'm just going to move on to our uh, final question, um, which is kind of a closing remarks that I'd like you know, from all of you, but a slightly pointed question as well. So, so I suppose COVID has lifted the lid in a, in a good way on the, on the contract services space and shown the value of, of the outsourcing space to, uh, within, within drug development. And nearly every business I've ever worked with in this sector always talks about how difficult recruitment is. Finding staff wherever they are in the world, finding the right talent. So my closing kind of remark to me, I'm just curious to see what what your guy, what everyone's opinion is on, you know, whether the raised profile of the sector is going to be a good thing for the sector at large, and might actually help ultimately uh, entice more people into the sector, maybe from biotech and from big pharma and from other industries that are actually taking an interest. So, um, Rick, any any thoughts on that that particular point?
6: Uh, I think the point of the, the, the recruiting talent and making sure that, you know, you have the talent available. We used to look at that, honestly, very regionally, you know, and this uh, situation with the pandemic has uh, the silver lining associated with it where we've, we've now started to, I mean, I think we were going down this path prior to that, but I think it's accelerated our thought on how do we take advantage of the power of the network of our capabilities. And so we, we don't necessarily want to think anymore regionally about our talent and our skill sets and what, what um, opportunities we can bring to bear on behalf of a client. We want to think across our network. And I think the pandemic and the ability to kind of stay connected, whether it's digitally you know, or, or, or in other ways during this um, enhanced reality or enhanced um, you know, uh, augmented reality, how, how do we connect and take advantage of those skill sets that are out there and still be able to be effective going forward, um, and sort of diminish the requirement for you know getting specific skill sets which are very, very you know on real to to service the customer, and that's our network approach. And I think I think this has allowed us to focus away, and I think it's you know powerful. But there are there are challenges in hiring talent, uh, regardless of what region we're trying to hire them in. So you know we're we're trying to find that balance, and we are and we are challenged. Um, to keep those skill sets involved. I think it's never going to be an ending process for us. We have to continue to refresh our skill sets and be aware where that talent is. Um, And instead of hire it, grow it internally. Um, And that's a, that's an also, you know, an additional approach for us. But again, it's, it's been a bit of a silver lining for us. So that's
0: very interesting. Thanks Ray And Lynn, any thoughts from from yourself on, you know, similar, similar topic in terms of the profile of the sector and, and recruitment,
5: obviously you guys have got multiple sites as well. Yeah, I think there's a, you know, we're seeing a lot better um, job applicants uh, during COVID. I think that there's just a pool of people that um, are available that are um, better than normal. Um, But we are, I think, and and we still haven't found the solution to this, struggling with how to do the best job of finding and then onboarding people during COVID. Um, So it's been very difficult for us to, um, to, and, and we're just looking at different ways of of onboarding people so that they feel like they're part of a team that is, that is only connected digitally. And so it's a little bit harder sometimes to establish those base relationships because not everything always comes through clearly on video as it does face to face. But we're finding um, some really good opportunities to use new tools. Um, and like I said, from a candidate perspective where there's a lot more interest in the pharma industry these days And we're seeing from a job applicant standpoint, a lot better uh, opportunities to hire, uh, to upgrade our people. So uh, we're excited um, going forward to the end of the year with the staff that we have, the staff that we're onboarding. And uh, again, we're continuing to use new tools in ways we never thought um, working from home. That's great. Thanks, Lynn. Mark? 30-odd sites
0: across the world, I've no idea how you deal with this stuff. <laughs> now we do it very
2: locally, actually. <laughs> but, but, but I, I, I you know, as far as COVID uh, is, is concerned, I think the CDMO industry has had a good COVID in, in the respect of actually showing flexibility, adaptability, and performance. Um, and I think those things actually really um, increase the profile and, you know, make make you know that that will lead to to good quality candidates wanting to work work in our arena um so we're, we're pretty much at the forefront you know all the much of the vaccine filling is being done by uh by, by CDMOs. it's not in-house capacity so so i, I think we've we've, we've had a, a good a good covid from that
0: perspective thank you mark roger any final comments
4: yeah on the people aspect i mean we're a we're a people business there's just no doubt about it i i my previous company was here in Southern California, and what used to keep me up at night was getting the right people, um, and you know, at a reasonable cost, of course, because it's a very challenging hiring and competitive hiring situation. Um, so from that perspective, India has been amazing. I mean, the depth of the talent pool there is, is mind blowing, quite honestly. I knew it was going to be good, but it's, it's quite astounding. Um, so I, I actually worry less about that now, um, with or without COVID, I guess. Um, I think COVID has actually you know, driven some quite good candidates to us. Are, you know, not everybody's done you know, quite as well as the CDMO sector. So that's, you know, for, for better or worse, we'll take advantage of that. Um, you know, to, to Lynn's point, it's quite interesting. I have a direct report now, who I've never met um, it's a really, really interesting <laughs> dynamic. Uh, we're making it work very well. You know, obviously we've met over video numerous times, but it, it's not the same. It's quite, quite interesting. Um, but I, I think in general for our business, I think still talent acquisition is, and, and retention is, is a big going to be a big challenge, not just for us across the industry, biologics in general, I guess. Um, uh, so we, we have to stay on top of it, but it, it's, you know, I think COVID may, you know, may drive some additional interest in you know, kids coming out of college and all this sort of stuff as well. It's, it's a great field to be in. It's, uh, I've, I've got a 16-year-old daughter who's very into engineering, and I'm like, well, chemical engineering may not be a bad way to go. Um, so I'll leave it there.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Roger. And Alfredo, last but not least, any, any final comments from yourself?
3: Well, I think that after this crisis, everyone agrees that health should come first. Yeah, so I think that pharma companies and the pharma sector in general should expect you know, more support from governments, from private equity funds. So eventually that will get also
0: to the CDMO business. Yeah.
3: Thank you very much. And we
0: are unbelievably out of time. So thank you uh, to our guests for, uh, for their time. Alfredo, Roger, Lynn, Mark, Rick. I know how busy you all are. So thank you all for making the time to be on our Uh, roundtable today. A reminder for the viewers that our sessions will be available to download on Molecule to Market podcast and on our website uh, afterwards, probably in the next day or so. Uh, And for our viewers as well, the final of our series of roundtables for CPHI is tomorrow at 10 a.m. ET, that's 3 p.m. GMT, covering collaboration and efficiency in the sector. again thanks so much for tuning in to molecule to market we hope you enjoyed today's episode you can find more shows on spotify apple podcast or wherever you like to listen get in touch with us on our website molecule and follow us on linkedin or twitter and we will see you again next week
1: Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content digital and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile, and generate leads in life sciences.